You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. We're a large portion of people in Genesis who are parents. And we don't want just our parents walking around aimlessly going, I hope I'm doing it right, though. Isn't that what parenting is? I have a friend who puts it this way. Uh, Parenting is like cooking a meal for 18 years. And then after it's cooked and you taste it, you can't change what you did. You can't change the recipe. You can't go back and go, well, had I not added that back in year three, maybe it wouldn't have tasted like this in year 18. But you don't know how you did until you're done which is terrible because we all stink at it. And so we're doing something that we don't really know how we've done until we can't really change anything. You know, what's set is set and what's done is done. And so I just, I just wanna take a moment and, and say this, that parenting today, regardless, believer, unbeliever, parenting is full of ridiculous pressures. Unnecessary pressures, things uh, like, Please look good and smile for your pumpkin patch pictures. Yeah, like we, like you, hey, smile, 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 right? Like now you're yelling at your kids so you can throw your picture on Facebook. So like, why? Because you want those likes, right? You want people to, like, you want people to, to check off that they liked what you did. Even though you know that three seconds later, your kids were crying. You're like, I will give you five pieces of candy if you just smile. Right, so, so like it doesn't really help anything. We have to be sure that we have great vacations. We have, to, we have to have vacations that are better than our coworkers because we want to show them how good it was. That's important. Parent or not, you still want to take good vacations. We have to be sure that our family looks good. Hairs cut, clothes right, not dirty, not smelly. Those things are good things just in general. But we have to look all right. And then we, our kids can't be too crazy because if they're too crazy, right, now we're being judged. And so I don't like, you're like, hey, be good because people are looking. As if when they're not looking, they can be crazy. So just be good because my friends are here. And then you come to faith in Jesus and you multiply the weird factor by like a million. Right? Christian parents have the most peculiar things that they care about. And not only that, but can sometimes become laws that they create for one another. Like, well, be sure you discipline your kids like this, because if not, they're gonna be heathens. And be sure that you school them like this, because if not, and be sure that you go to these places, because if not, and if you have to watch these shows and not those shows, and then all of a sudden you kind of get done, you're like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like, if, you, if you're a single parent, then you must have broken something. You did something wrong. If both spouses work, then you must not love your kids. And we kind of have all of these things that we drop onto people, and then it, it makes sense to me then while people come to church life and they're asking questions like, can both of us work? Is that okay? Because it seems like it might not be okay. Like, does, does Jesus want us to only have one who works? I'm like, well, if you look in the Old Testament, they all kind of worked in agriculture, so most of us are already disobeying something. And, the, and we don't also know the situation, do we? Maybe they're getting really zealous about paying down debt because they realize that they've made mistakes. Like, well, let's just go after it so that we aren't shackled by this. And so what I feel can happen sometimes, regardless of how the pressure gets put on, is that all of these things become like weights around our neck. And we see what the Apostle Paul says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. 
that in Christ we have freedom, that he has released us to enjoy him. And I see lots of people who are just like, I don't know how I can even enjoy him like this. Like, I have to do it just right. So I, I, I'm, my kids aren't out of the house yet, but I can assure you this. You will have regrets, and you won't do it right. So if we could just kind of release ourselves to realize that everything we do is going to be, some are gonna, things are going to be good, and some things are going to be bad, then we're all right. Because if you ask your kids later, like, hey, what could I have done better as a parent? Now when they're an adult the weirdest things will show up. For example, I, I had a friend and she told her parents, I wish you would have helped me like, go after my love for math. Parents were like, we didn't even know you liked math. So, so even as hard as you try, you're gonna miss. You're gonna miss things. And so whenever I talk about subjects like this, what I try to do is just go, okay, if we could just boil it down to its essential elements because sometimes what you see is this whole developed picture of what's most important, right? We gotta do this, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. And then what everybody sees is this out, exterior view of your family life and you've missed what's at the core. So if we could, we're just gonna take this morning and go to the core. What is of utmost importance for us to recognize as both a faith family, those who are called together and saved by Jesus, and uh, as parents or in our view of parenting. I will not answer every question, um, and I will never be able to. We're gonna try at the end, uh, just stick around till the end, and we'll give um, one specific way that you could grow in this part of our lives as just believers together. But we'll be in the passage that uh, really, if you go like, what does the Bible say about parenting? It's gonna bring you to like four passages, right? You could Google it, you're not gonna get a ton. There'll be a couple of Proverbs verses that aren't gonna help you a lot because you're not gonna be sure how to apply it. Uh, you're gonna go to Ephesians, you might go to Colossians, you might go to First Peter, then you're gonna go back to Deuteronomy. So we're gonna go to Deuteronomy because it's one of the first ones. Deuteronomy chapter six. Now, where is Deuteronomy? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament, and this is what it means. It's a second telling of the law. So just so we can position what's going on, Moses brings the Israelites out of Egypt, right? And we remember the parting of the sea and everything's going crazy, and then they disobey, and God says, you, this generation who came out of Egypt, you can't go into the land. And so they're wandering, just kind of ping-ponging around the wilderness, the desert, for a while, 40 years, until the whole generations, but for two, because not even Moses goes in, Joshua and Caleb go in, so the whole generation dies out, and the next generation is gonna go into the land, and Deuteronomy is Moses speaking to the next generation about what they need to believe, because the first generation's already gone. So now this is this Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law, the second telling of God's covenant with his people. And so it's a repeat. He goes through history and he goes through law and he retells the generation that's about to go into the land, the promised land, how they're to live and what God has done for them. And there's this passage that becomes essential to how we just understand, I'd say, faith life in particular and then family life secondarily, so to speak, right? So it's faith life first, it's family life second. It's not family life, it's faith life. 
And, that, and, and, and that flow is important for us because the first statement that God gives, or Moses gives, really, but through, God gives through Moses, is about the hearts of the people. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, and we're just going verses 4 through 9, which is kind of nice because I think next week we're going through a whole chapter, and that's going to kill us. So... It's a long chapter, Acts chapter 10. So we get just a nice, you know, a nice breather of four through nine. And this is what we see. This is Moses speaking to the new generation. Hear, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's our verse. He goes a little further in the chapter on what that means, verses 20 to the end of the chapter, but that's really just that, that part is an essential understanding, and Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 has been repeated by Jesus. Matthew 22, 37, 38, he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we see this statement as an important statement for the history of Israel, but also echoes in Jesus' statements of how he expects his people to live. So we're going to ask this question, trying to figure out what's most important. If we could just boil it down, what would be most important? And I think this, and it's just so nice that it kind of flows into three points, because this is your three-point sermon for today. Um, Three ways we devote ourselves, okay? How does this passage speak about how we devote ourselves? The two are clear. The third, you have to think of the context of Deuteronomy to understand what's going on. So here's the first way. Everybody in this room, Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5, and 6, you fully devote yourselves to God. That's the first part. Right? Parenting is not first about you being a parent. It's about you following God. That, that, that the walk of discipleship is about your relationship with God and the covenant relationship that we keep together with God. And so the first command that we see right there in verse four into five, first is a statement about who God is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. A unique part of Israel's identity is that they worship one God. And the gods around them were not monotheists. They believed in lots of different gods. And so he's making an identity statement about who they are. Then he says this, you, Israel, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words that would be the law that I command you today shall be on your heart. So it takes a devoted person to God in order to live out the life that God has for us. That's why I say this passage is first about, a, it's a faith issue. It's faith first that we belong to God. That we belong to God, that, that that's our relationship. And so the question that we need to just ask ourselves is this, is our primary concern Jesus? Is our primary concern Jesus and pleasing him? 
Or is our primary concern pleasing our parents or pleasing our friends or pleasing our neighbors or pleasing our whatever to look good in the eyes of others? Because once we start to just get that a little off course, everything else falls off, everything. And so if it's about, uh, well, you know, how do you do this and how do you do that? And we go to all these kind of nuts and bolts parts of how we live our life, we miss the engine that drives it, which is a devoted heart to God. And so often, our, well, in, the, in the realm of parenting, but just the realm of being a believer, we can get so judgmental about what we see on the outside without actually ever wondering what's going on at the level of the heart. How is this person, this believer, being devoted? So for Christians, parenting starts with Jesus and it stays there. And if something or someone else has your heart, then your approach will always be wrong. Always. If you live so that your kids don't cut up in the service, all of you have already all lost. Right? Like we're just sitting here and you hear it just popping up, right? Your kids make noise. If we live so that other people think we're doing it right, we're missing it. If we live so that we, we look good at least for a little while and we can do the right things and our kids are in the right schools and then they still come out of the back end fallen, like that's, that's kind of how it works. I heard this advice one time given to me from a friend, a believer, uh, previous church, who was a superintendent. And I said, hey man, like I'm, I don't know what my kids were getting older, right? So they, they're kind of stair-stepped, but they kind of stay stair-stepped together. And then what happens, you start to panic. Oh gosh, like what am I gonna do for my kids in school or whatever it might be? And he gave me, I think, what was the best advice, which reminds me of what's most important about what the scriptures say about us. He said, Hans, no system is going to protect your children from their own depravity. None. The most important thing that you can do as a parent is point them to their need for God, which we have to do ourselves by knowing our own need for God, is that really it's all about dealing with the flesh and our desire to rebel, to disobey, not to listen, and that there is no system, no place, no structure that is going to remove the fallenness from our children. Which for me was the most freeing thing in the world. It doesn't mean I just you know, indiscriminately throw my kid to the wind, but it makes me go, most important thing as I follow after God is to help my kids focus on their fallenness, not focus on it, but understand it recognize it, and their need for God. But if I'm not actually demonstrating and living out of my own need for God, then I'm giving them no example. And so like one of the worst things that we can do, it's just believers in general, it applies uniquely to parenting, but it just applies to life, is when we just give the reason because I said so, Right? And I use this in like the elder realm a lot. Well, just do it because the elder said so. Well, that's like parenting too, right? Like spiritual parenting. Like it doesn't work because we said so. Okay, well, that, that means nothing to me because you said so. There's always a why that becomes an important part of what we do. And we're gonna see that next. Okay, so first is our devotion to God. Do we live our lives faithfully as disciples of Jesus seeking to obey all that he has commanded, or are we living to try and make other people or make those around us impressed with who we are? Parent or not, that's always gonna be a battle that we fight. Your devotion is first to God. 
Look at seven, eight, and nine. Fully devote yourself to God, that's first. And then there's fully devote your home to God, and there's a unique way that he talks about this. So after he says, these words shall be on your heart, that's about the believer. Then, verse seven, you shall teach them diligently. If you're a Bible circler, circle just diligently. You shall teach them diligently, which I would guess most of us don't do. But you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be uh, as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And some of the Jewish faith take this literally and you'll see little things screwed on to the side of their doorposts and you'll see them bind things on their hands or on their head in order to remind them of what God has done, remind them of the law in particular. Now, so to fully devote your home to God, this is the hard part, right? So what he says essentially is this, your whole heart is God's, devote yourself to him. And then he says, saturate your life with God. Like that's the next part. So fully devote yourself to God, saturate your life with God. And this is where we mess up. Because I know all you guys are staying up like an extra hour in the night watching a Netflix show. So saturate yourself with God and your home with the Lord. Like this is the hard part for how we operate because this is actually what's gonna make you weird. Because you're gonna make decisions one way or another and it will be bizarre, but I want it to be bizarre for the right reason. So he speaks about the heart and then Moses moves to the law and how it should be discussed. And here's essentially what he says. You should be talking about God and what he wants from us in all ways and at all times. All the time. It's just, it's just, it's like breathing. You just speak about it. Just like breathing. So you have no idea how many times you've breathed since you've come into this room, but you've done it a lot. Some of you like strip, shoot, you know, we're all now ill. And this is where the work comes for anybody who is serious about disciple making. Because it is saturating what we do and who we are and why we live with God. It is the ability to say this is why we do what we do. This is why we do what we do and this is how we do what we do. And the how for us is by the power of the spirit that comes through faith in Jesus. But this is the hard part and this is often where we can struggle because it makes us feel as if we need to be perfect. Perfect. And just one little mess up and we're done. And I would say this, if the gospel gives freedom, then why do we feel as if we are doomed when we mess up? Why do we feel like we're doomed? Like, we're, we, like if we do this, then we know for sure that's gonna happen. If we decide this, then that's gonna happen. Because, right, who then does it hang on for the success of the spiritual well-being of our children or of anybody else but us? And is that the gospel that we believe? Mm-mm. No, Jesus saves And so if somehow it hangs on you to save your kids, then you believe something that didn't actually save you, right? You're trying to do something and it's not the way that you came to faith, that I must do these things so that my kids will be this. And they can't do that. I mean, I can point to pastor kid after pastor kid where they say, man, I thought I did all the right things and still, and still, 
Life isn't where I thought it would be. And I still have to deal with these things because there isn't a potion where it's like, hey, if you do these seven things and then all of a sudden you're good. That's not a heart thing, is it? It's a behavior part. But let's give a couple of ways that we can do this. So difficult for us to talk about it all the time, I think in part because of part one, we don't have fully devoted hearts. Our hearts aren't satisfied in Christ. So we are then pulling from a dry well to try and teach and train and disciple because we know that's important but we have no source to go to because we've spent all of our time and all of our energy in the wrong places. And so you can't really impart, as I've heard it before, you can't impart what you don't possess, right? Like, like you can't then be like, well, I'm gonna teach you about what's most important when really you're not living it out because if kids are good at anything, they're good at pointing out a phony. My kids love to tell me when I've lied to them. Hey, you said this was gonna happen and it didn't. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I did promise that. And you know who's sometimes really bad at keeping his promises? Your dad. You know who's not bad at keeping his promises? Your God. Right? Remember that. That I'm gonna let you down. And so we have to not just, like, we can't stop at the level of my bad, but we have to figure out how a gospel-saturated mindset affects our home, and that's where we mess up. So here are a couple of things. How do you do this in a saturated way? And your kids are gonna hate you for it. Just, just know that. You'll be like, oh, mom, dad, here we go again. Grandma, here we go again. Like, this is the worst. Um, aunt, uncle, doesn't really matter. First, how about this? Just discuss contrastive things that you see in the world. Uh, this morning, while we were in the car, I had my older two with me. My older two are only eight and seven, but my older two with me. And I said, hey, you know what? Uh, I said, remember how we were actually doing our memory verse, which is a nerdy thing that we do, but like we were practicing our memory verse, and it says, um, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, Romans 116, is where we were, 116 and 17. And I said, you know, there are still Jewish people today, and did you know that something really bad happened yesterday while Jewish people were worshiping? And they said, what happened? And so I tell them, right, eight and seven. I said, well, this is what, this is what happened. And one of my kids goes, were they good people? Right, now that's the question, were they good people? I said, well, what do you mean by good? What do you mean by good? Right, because I'm asking questions, trying to go, what do you, what do you mean? And I wanna be sure I answer the right question. And so we take a moment and we just kind of discuss again, like how do we live right with God and what was going on and how do we understand that these, this is a bad thing going on in the world and we stop. I said, hey, can we just stop and pray right here for what we saw? And so they said, yeah, sure. And of course, they're like, can we get out now? Like, because they, in their head, like, we're done. So we take moments, and you have to seize them, right? Kind of like, uh, never mind, I'm not going to quote an Eminem song, but you just seize the moment, right? <laughs> we consider these minutes golden. But anyway, um, you have to then grab this thing, lasso it, and then say, okay, we're not just gonna let this moment pass by. We're gonna discuss what we saw and what the scriptures say about it, okay? And that's, that, that's a harder step. Why? Because if you're not fully devoting your heart to God, then you might be clueless on why it is or isn't bad, which is why us following after God, reading his word, living in accountable relationships, why that's so important. 
Because if we're not living right with God and we're not living openly with God, then we're gonna miss these opportunities because we're not gonna be able to see it. And if we're not living in the freedom that we have in Jesus and understanding the relationship that we have, then we will not be able to take those moments and discuss what's actually going on. So contrastive moments. When you are you know, watching Netflix or whatever else it might be, be a stickler for the pause button. And I mean that. And just stop it and go, hey, what, what's going on right here? Is this something that we would do? Is this something that we would believe? Is this something that we would actually try and live out? No, okay, why? Why wouldn't it be? Now here's a hard part, and this is where you're like, like some of you are gonna go, well how do I talk about my kids? Because we believe here at Genesis, what the scriptures teach is that you don't have, you're not a part of the faith family until you put your faith in Jesus. So do I talk to my kids as believers? Or do I talk to my kids as unbelievers, right? Like, how do, I how do I actually discuss with them? Well, the reason you don't wanna do that is because you're fallen and you're terrible and you need Jesus. Like, that doesn't seem to necessarily work right. And so how do we in these moments, understanding our language and how we talk about these things, how do we do it? And I do use we. I use that as we because I wanna speak to my children like I would long for them to be. Right, it's the, same, it's the same way that when I preach and when I teach, I, I preach to what I hope Genesis is as God fully brings himself to bear through us by the power of the Spirit. Right, so I don't preach to where we are. The scriptures don't, don't, don't actually go to where we are. They're always pushing us beyond that, that living by the power of the Spirit, we can actually be something that we're not. That we can live in a way that God desires for us to live. So I'm always speaking aspirationally uh, to them. Not, not neglecting to talk to them about being fallen or needing Jesus and needing to put their faith in Jesus, but to just go, hey, this is, is this how we act? Is how we act in this home? Why don't we do that? So just discussing, specifically when you see contrast and what's going on. How do you have those conversations? Here's another one, like why do we forgive? Oh man, forgiveness is hard. Like saying I'm sorry is one thing, asking forgiveness is another. Because when you say, I'm sorry, it's like, I'm sorry, okay, we're good, like, but I wronged you, will you forgive me? That's a totally different thing. And so in my home, I'm a little obnoxious about it. I'm like, no, you wanna say, I'm sorry for, fill in the blank, say the thing it is. You need to say it. Like, I don't wanna say it. I'm like, you say it, right? <laughs> say what you did wrong. Because so often, and this is what every believer does, we try to short circuit the reconciliation or the restoration process. Can we just get past the pain of hurting the relationship and move right to acting like it never happened? Like, nope, not unless you think Jesus didn't die because he certainly didn't short circuit the process that brings us into a relationship with God. Can we just move past this and be done? So no, let's take it, let's recognize the pain of hurting somebody Let's ask forgiveness for it. Let's be sure the right thing is forgiven. Why do we do that? Right? Always why. That's one of the most important questions not your kids ask, but you ask. Why do we do this? Why do you believe this? Why do you think about this? Why do you think like this? Why do you think we act like this? Why do we have to go to church on Sunday? I hate going to church on Sunday, right? Like I wanted to sleep in, right? Well, this is why we do it. It's not just because this is what we do. That's the, like the because I told you answer. Why do we do this? Because Jesus has changed us. And we commit to be together with other people whom Jesus has changed. <clears throat> we want to worship him and sing to him and love him and follow him because he has transformed us. And I don't go so far if I know, I think I know the spiritual state of my kids and I want you to trust him. 
I want you to trust him and I want you to be around aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters who can help us in that endeavor. I want you to see it and be glad. Okay, so for those of you who are raised in, uh, in church life, I don't, don't know if you're a believer or not, but let's just, just, just show of hands, I know it's kind of awkward. How many of you have positive, we'll say positive first, positive memories of other people who weren't your parents sharing you know, like with you and spending time with you and engaging in uh, your life and where you were as a kid in church life. Anybody, anybody have like people they remember? Yeah, yeah, now like that's a good thing. So we gather, we want, we want you to see other people following after Jesus. We want you to recognize that it's not just how your mom or your dad lives out their life, but it's how we together as a church family do it. That just takes more energy, doesn't it? And when you're exhausted and you're wondering if you're doing it right, all you want to do is just go, just because I said so. That's what you want to do. Just, just do the thing, please. But let me ask you this. Is this how God treats us? Just do it. And that is not how Jesus treated his disciples. That is not how God treats us. His grace is always present. And his patience is always there. Now, this strategy of discussing is never perfect, but I could probably say to anybody, parent, non-parent, all of us have had parents of some kind, good, bad, or otherwise, had parents. Your kids don't want perfect. They want parents. That's what they want. They don't want stuff. They don't want things. Now, sometimes we were driving around in Baton Rouge. We'd go to this restaurant called Frank's, and Frank's, to get to Frank's, had really nice houses by it. Really nice. Like, you had to get there, and you were going through, like, mansions. You're going, I don't understand how many square feet this house is. And so what do my kids say? What do your kids say? I wish we lived there. So what do I say? Me too. Uh, yeah, I wish we lived there too, buddy. I go, yeah, of course that would be cool. But is life about a house? No, it's not about a house, is it? Which is a hard lesson for us to learn. It's hard in everything. We were having recently at Little League Game Ball Envy. You ever seen Game Ball Envy where like the coach gives out a game ball and the kids who think they deserve it don't get it? And so it's trouble, right, down in River City, like with a capital T. And so you have to stop and go, could you just stop complaining? Like that's what you want to say. It's not that big of a deal. But what does Deuteronomy 6 ask of us? Let's, let's actually discuss this. Hey, listen, life is not about that. In fact, we live to please God. We don't really live to get any kind of credit for ourselves. So I, I go, hey, I said, you know, when, you're, when your dad preaches, I had to use something weird that they, they know I do. When your dad preaches, like, I'm not doing it so that people think I did good or bad. That's, that's not why. Because if I'm living for them and how they view me, you guys, that's, you know, I'm talking to my kids. If I'm living for you and how you view me, I'm never going to be satisfied. If you live for how other people view you, you will never be satisfied. So you have to take these moments, grab hold of them, and say, no, this is not how we're going to do it. Now, here's the third one, okay? And this is one that's going to be sometimes more difficult for us to live out, but it's incredibly important. Because this takes that, I, I would say this takes that final yoke off of your neck, 
the, the, the one that really weighs you down. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Following after me is a good thing. So we have fully devote yourselves to God. That's about your heart. Fully devote your home, your life to God. Be able to speak about him in different situations. And then finally, fully devote yourself to the community of God. Now what I said, this has to go from the context of Deuteronomy 6. Everything Israel did was communal. Everything. There were different tribes, sure, and there were different households within those tribes, different families within those tribes, but everything they did was together. They spoke of their identity with God. In fact, if your Bibles are still open to Deuteronomy 6, you can see that in verse 20. When your son asked you in uh, time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules the Lord our God has commanded you? You shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Do you hear the why they're giving? Why do we do this? Well, we do this because God's great. No, 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 be specific. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. On and on and on. And so this is a, a realizing that we are a part of something together. We were this and we were that and God has, God has saved us. So it makes sense to the, devote yourself to God, devote your home to God, but that third idea is, is, is woven in, baked in to the idea of how we live our lives out together, which is within the family of God. Within the family of God, which means you can't really successfully be a rogue disciple or a rogue parent. It won't work. That, that, that we exist for one another. And I think sometimes this is the weight that we feel is that even though I would absolutely say it is the parent's primary responsibility for the spiritual training and discipling of their kids, it is not the exclusive responsibility. See the difference? Primary versus exclusive. Exclusive goes, this is us and this is my world and you don't go into it. But even when we covenant together, if you read our membership covenant, like we're like, we're going to commit to train our children up and we're committing as a faith family to hold one another accountable to that. And so we live our lives in the faith. That's why by that show of hands, there's always other people in our lives who are incredibly influential in how we grow up in the Lord incredibly influential and they have a role. And this is, the, this is the thing that every parent hates. You tell your kid something a hundred times and then another parent or a youth pastor or somebody says the exact same thing and your kids come home and tell you about how their world has been changed. And you go, are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I have told, I have told you that 700 times. Now, now listen to what's going on even in that moment, right? The shift. Hey, parent, is it about you and what you can accomplish in the heart of your kids or about what God accomplishes in the heart of your kids? Can you rejoice when someone else is excited, gets them excited about God? Can you rejoice when somebody else teaches them something and for the first time ever it made sense? Or do you have to be the one that does it? Because if you have to be the one that does it, you will be disappointed so many times when other influences, other people within the family of faith seem to have more impact in a specific moment than you thought you ever would. It won't be true. The home will always out-influence most other environments. But we have to be okay to go, you know what, I reside within this family of faith and I need other people to talk to my kids about how good God is. I need them to see it. I need them to have other teachers and instructors because I can't do it all. I 
can't do it all. I am imperfect. On my best day, I'm hitting like 2% perfection capacity. And so if I hang it all on myself, I'm missing it. And not only am I being affected by that, but my kids are too because they're seeing me put this unnecessary pressure on myself. So just in the same way, I think this is largely true, not always true, but largely true. Let's just think about like family life. Not church family life, but like family life. Thanksgiving's sometimes nice. <laughs> right? You don't <laughs> just like, nah, never. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes nice for some of us. I'll try to qualify that beyond qualification. It's sometimes nice. Now, with that, I would add this. We don't live in that world, but we use that environment. We don't live there, but it's a part of how we operate. You don't live Sunday from 10.30 to around noon. You don't live here, but you are here. It's a part of the rhythm of how we live, what we do, how we operate, when we worship, when we gather, what we teach. It's all a part of what we do. And so I would say, if you're here today and you are single, like, my kids need you. They need your influence. They need your heart. They need the same gospel that you and I believe. They need to hear that. They need to know that. If you are here and you're an empty nester, my kids, our kids need you. It's not like you have to have arrived at the stage in order to be able to be beneficial for it because it's not about the stage, it's about the God who has saved us. If your heart is committed to God, we need one another. And whatever he gives, however he can give it and what he provides for us. And God has made us a new family together in his son Jesus. forever worshiping, forever following. And as much as I would love to be the one that leads all my kids to the Lord, I would love for them to be worshiping in heaven side by side with you. And I would have gratitude that you were the one that did it instead. Because we will not do it perfectly and we need one another to keep our hearts and our minds and our homes focused on the Lord. Now, with that, there's still all those questions of like, well, how does authority work and how does discipline work and how does this work and how does that work and am I doing it right? Answer, no. But all of those things. And so uh, what I would really like um, to let you know about is we have a few community groups actually who are gonna grab for the month of November uh, a Paul trip seminar. Really, it's just four one-hour sessions, but it's on uh, parenting. And it's not just like, well, parents do this and parents do that, but it's really about parenting, the theology behind it, and what's trying to be accomplished and how it tries to work. And so it's just, the material is gold. It is gold. And so we have purchased the ability as a church just to, to watch that to go through that together. And so there are a couple of community groups. Community group leaders, I'm just gonna ask you, to, if you're doing that, could you raise your hands? I think it's Justin, Tim, 
Uh, I don't, Akers said he might. Cynthia, do you know if Akers is doing it? He gave, he gave it maybe, not sure. Okay, so we have at least two. Our group's gonna go through it. We're not, we don't meet every week, so I'm gonna tell you how to watch it when we're not there, but like, there's at least three places to go. And then if you still are interested and you can't join up with a group for even the month of November to do that, uh, we will provide a way uh, in order to watch that. So I know not all the groups, uh, group leaders are in the room right now, uh, but you could also put pressure on your group leaders to watch it, so there you go. Um, but not all of them are gonna do it, but if you would like to join up, because it's gonna, it's gonna take this idea and stretch it out over four more hours, which is what we all want, right? Four hours. <laughs> but stretch it out in concept and in application on if the gospel is real and Jesus died for us, how should that change how we function as a faith family and how we function in the home? And so that's what we're gonna be able to do, and that's what's there uh, for you as well. If you would like uh, to... Uh, know more about that, meet me after the service just in the foyer and you can sign up and I will be able to say, hey, go to this group or go there. So meet me, meet me around the corner um, and we will give that to you or get, try to connect you with a group leader so you can go through that uh, because we want you to be able to see it regardless of life stage. We want you to be able to learn from it because it's what, right, like we want everybody in this room to be good at like handling their finances. We want everybody in this room to have a good theology of parenting. We want everybody in this room to understand the gospel. Like these are the things we want for all of us. Not just for a portion of us, but for all of us. So it is, it is a tall task to which the Lord Jesus has called us. But with the power of his spirit, with a heart devoted to him, in the context of the faith family, we can do as he has called us. Not in our own power, because that would never work. But because of the life that we have through Jesus. And pray with me now. As we consider these things. Heavenly Father, as we read in your word what you have done that you are one, that your desire for us is to love you with all that we have and your desire for our homes is to saturate our lives with the truths of scripture that we could speak about it. I pray, Lord, for every person in this room that you could better tune um, our hearts and minds to how we can live as parents, most importantly, live as faithful disciples. Those, Lord, who have committed our lives to you because you have called us and you have saved us and you have given us grace upon grace. I pray, God, for everyone in this building, this whole facility who does not know you, that you would bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus, that they could see death, burial, resurrection, life through those of us who have been called who are living that out. Father, I pray for every parent in this room, every parent-to-be, every empty nester, everybody, God, that they might delight themselves in you over anything else, that you would free them from regret and guilt and shame that moves them away from you and keep them close to you by your spirit. I ask that you do this because you're gracious, because you love us, and you gave your son for us to show us how to live might we follow in his example and we do pray it in his name. Amen.